the stairs in the front, but it's getting trickier these days. If you got your Bibles with you tonight, you open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to continue our journey uh, through, the, through the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 29 tonight. You remember last time we kind of went through uh, an overview of the tabernacle and the, and the effects in the tabernacle. And here's the important thing that we want to hold on to as we study the Old Testament. This is important for us to, to get a grasp on. And that is this, guys. The, the fact that Jesus Christ came, died for our sins to, to make us righteous, that we might have a righteous standing before God through faith, was not plan B. And we know that because we can see it from the book of Genesis on. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, throughout all the way to Revelation, we see one common story in the 66 books by 40 different authors written over 2,000 years. That one story is how God will redeem men. And we see it through all these pictures that the Lord paints. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that the tabernacle is a shadow, a symbol, a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ. And as we take a look in every aspect of the tabernacle, we will see Jesus. We'll see his work. We'll see his character. We'll see what he has wrought and done for us. And tonight, as we take a look, we're going to see the ordination of the priesthood, the ordination of the priesthood. And we're going to see the exact same work that God did there, he does for us still today. Still today, the same things are going to take place. So as we open there... Together in, uh, in Exodus chapter 29. So, we begin. Verse 1, he lays out for us. Now this is what you shall do uh, to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one bowl and two rams without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat flour, and you will put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two horns and Aaron and his sons, and you shall bring uh, Aaron and his sons, and you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Jesus said in John chapter ten, verse seven, "Who is the door?" Jesus. We study the the fabric of the tabernacle. The very fabric of the tabernacle is. The, each door, the door entering into the outer courts, remember that's 150 by 75 feet, just a linen fence, like a linen sheet fence around the tent. There's only one door, right? That one door faces east. Toward what tribe? What tribe was the, the Messiah to come from? The tribe of Judah. So the door faces Judah. That door, that gate that they walked through is made of a material, the exact same material that was at the door of the tabernacle, which is the exact same material, which was the veil, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. And that veil, book of Hebrews says, is pictures the flesh of Jesus Christ, the vest that the priest would wear. He would wear a, a like a white robe. Over that, without seam. Over that, a blue robe, without seam. Over that, a vest. The color of that vest is the same as the color of the veil, as the color of the doors. It pictures the fact that his authority comes 
from Jesus Christ. The veil is Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, what happened to the veil? Was torn, right? The veil was torn. The way was opened through the breaking of his flesh. It opened the way that we all, each and every one of us, could have a relationship with God. For there in the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant, between the cherubim, that's where God met with his people. Now, it's no different today, folks. That Ark of the Covenant, that, that mercy seat, that is the throne of God in heaven. It's a, it's a copy on earth, a shadow. The reality is so much better than what we had on earth. The reality is always so much better than what we see pictured. The reality of Jesus Christ. So what happens to the priests? What's their first thing that they do? They're brought to the door. What's the first thing that happens in our relationship with God? We're brought to the door. Every one of us come to the door. We have a choice, right? The door is there. The, the, the scripture lays out the way, the truth, and the life. The door, the one way to the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. By faith in Him, we're made righteous. We have a righteous standing with God. We put our faith and trust in Him. We believe and we're saved. And that's the first thing that happens with the priests. They come to the door. What are you going to do? You stay outside the door, you stay outside of salvation. But you're going to come inside the door. It's a picture of coming to Jesus Christ for salvation. They bring them to the door. Now, as we take a look at the events that are going to take place in this ordination, you and I, we look at it and we go, well, you know, that's, that's pretty cool and, and it's nice and all. But listen, we need to have an understanding. You think, I think, ordination, that's what they do for the preacher, right? I mean, the preacher's ordained. The word ordained means that you are sent out. That someone has acknowledged the fact that God has placed a calling on your life, and now you're sent out. Now, with that definition in mind, hold your finger here. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 16. As Jesus is, is giving the, the true vine uh, disortation that he lays out for us, we're going to look at uh, verse 16. Listen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You know that word appointed? You know what it is? Ordained. I have ordained you. What did Jesus say at the the Great Commission as he was going to heaven? What did he tell the disciples? Now go and make disciples of all men. Didn't he, didn't he give the great commission? Is that commission only for them? That commission is for us. We're called. We're sent. So this ordination ceremony that we see the priests going through, this ordination ceremony we read about in the book of Exodus is going to picture our relationship, coming to Jesus. What happens then? We, we come to Jesus? Is that the first step? No, listen. The first step in Exodus chapter 28 was we're chosen. What did Jesus say in John 15, 16? I chose you. Now, we all think we chose the Lord. But from the foundation of the world, God chose us. From the foundation of the world, the Lord wanted a relationship with you, and he was willing to do whatever it took to get it. Often I, I was asked questions when I, when I taught in school. Kids would ask me all the time, well, if God knew that Adam was going to sin, 
Why did he create them? Why didn't he just not do it? Well, we're asking the wrong question. Turn it around. If God knew in creating Adam that he was going to have to die, why did he do it? Because he loved him. Because he wanted a relationship with Adam. The most glorious thing that God had that was lost in the fall of Adam was the fact that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. You and I, sometimes we think that that God is so mysterious, he doesn't really want us to know his will. He doesn't really want us to understand what he's doing and, and what's going on. But the truth is, God wants to walk in the cool of the evening with you just like he did with Adam. That's his desire. The Bible says that you and I are his prize. That's his prize. Now, every once in a while, when I, when I think about that, I think he got the raw end of that deal. You know? I'm not all that much of a prize. And he is mine. Now that's a much better deal. That Jesus Christ is my prize. Folks, we're called. We have a call in our life, a commission for us to do. And the place that that started, just like it started for these priests, is the fact that God chose you. First thing he did, God chose. Then the Bible tells us, what did he do with that choice? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. We come around this time of year, and that's what this time of year is supposed to be all about. Sometimes we get it backwards. We think it's about getting, but it has always been about giving. It has always been about the greatest gift ever given. Now, folks, yeah, Jesus' birthday is not December 25th, but I don't really care. Uh, Several... 100 years ago, the church decided, hey, December 25th, pagan holiday, we'll make it Christian. It's Jesus' birthday now. And we've been celebrating Christmas ever since. doesn't matter where they got the concept from. The point is we have an opportunity to celebrate the fact that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave us his son. So how can he who has freely given us all things, is there something of more value in God's life? than his son is there something in our life of more value than our children man that's everything he loves so much so when i consider the the creation and the fall of adam and all it was going to cost i look at that and i think man god did it anyway and it was going to cost him the brutal death of crucifixion on the cross that's love that's love and so he chose He chose to save whosoever will come. Because John 3.16 goes on to say, right? For whosoever believes in him shall have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. Coming through a relationship with him. First, we're chosen. Secondly, we see what we read here in verse 4. They're brought to the door. We come to salvation. We come to that place that is a picture of Jesus Christ. Book of Hebrews says it's a picture of him. In the old, in the, in the prophets, guys, in, uh, in Haggai, God said, I will speak to my people through symbolism, through symbols and pictures. And all throughout the Old Testament, when the Pharisees read the Old Testament, what is it that Jesus said to them? You search the scriptures daily, for in them 
you have life. But it is these that speak of me. They tell us about the Lord. So they come to the door. And at the door, at the door, what happened? You shall wash them with water. They're washed. They're washed. They come to salvation and then they're washed. Their sins are washed white as snow. What is that washing a picture of? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that in the Word of God, we are washed by the water of the Word. What else does it lay out for us? It also tells us that in the act of baptism, when we come to the Lord, that symbolism of baptism, what does it say? I'm dead to the old life. All the old junk is washed away and I'm new. I am made new in Christ Jesus. I'm washed. I'm clean. I stand before God, the Bible says, a just man made perfect. How many perfect of us are here today? The Bible says we're all perfect in Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are perfect in the sight of God. Already perfected by the blood of his son. So he was washed. And I want you to consider something. Folks, the things that happened to these priests, everything was done to them or for them, but not by them. They had no part to play other than to go, to stand there. Who washed them? They didn't wash themselves. They were washed. They were saved. They were chosen. It didn't have anything to do with what they were doing. It was all a work of others around them. For you and I, the work of salvation and ordination in our life, the call, the go that God gives us is a work that God does, not that we do. When we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord reporting for duty. Here I am, God. Here I am. So we're going to see that same thing in the work that the priests are done. Look what happens. So they wash them with water. And then you will take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastplate, and gird him with the intri- uh, wow. intricate... Why can't I say that? Thank you. Intricately. My goodness. English is my second language. Intricately woven band of the ephod. And you will put on the turban on his head and the holy crown on his turban. You remember the holy crown from last time, right? Said holiness to the Lord. Why? Because his mind was always to be focused on holiness. That's a sign for you and I. That our minds would always be focused on holiness. Paul would say in the book of Romans, that we're to present our bodies as tools of righteousness to God. So often we spend all our time trying to think about how we can present our bodies as tools of unrighteousness. What sin, what evil thing can I do? Or what evil thing can I do that nobody sees that I do so I can get away with doing it? But instead, our attitude was to be toward holiness, Walking toward purity, that we were saved in this position, in this place, however I am. But God wants us to be walking forward to him, toward him, toward him in purity, toward him in holiness. This was to be on on his mind. But look what takes place. What's the next thing that happened? First, they're chosen. Second, we see the picture of salvation at the door. Third, they're washed. Fourth, they are clothed in righteousness. What's, he, what's the first thing they put on him? A linen 
a white linen robe. What's a, what do we see the church wearing in the book of Revelation when they gather around the th- throne of God? What do they have on? White linen robes. Why white linen? White linen speaks of righteousness. Was it their righteousness? Was, was Aaron putting on his righteousness? No. He's putting on a symbol of a covering. I am covered in the righteousness and a right relationship with God. So we're chosen. We're saved. We, we come to the place of washing. Our sins are washed away. The old life is gone. The new life is there. And we're clothed in righteousness. For the book, the Bible tells in Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. He did all that so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. So that we would be able to put on the righteousness of God. That we would be clothed in this way. So as we see this, then he goes on and says, Now, after you put the holy crown on his turban, then you will take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Folks, all throughout the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Being anointed. When the king was anointed with oil, what did that symbolize? He is Filled with the power of the Spirit that he might rule or reign. What was it for the priests? A symbol of the Holy Spirit empowering him for service. And when he was anointed, it's not like we do it, where we put a little dab of oil on your head. It says they poured it out on his... You ever had oil dumped on your head? You're going to have a greasy head for a while. That, that, That stuff don't just come out your hair... They didn't have like pert shampoo or nothing that they could use. It's, the Bible says that it ran down and off the beard of Aaron. And it was a beautiful picture of being anointed by the Spirit. What happens in our relationship with the Lord? Chosen, saved, washed, robed in righteousness, and anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anointed for service. And that's what this whole system is picturing. Now, remember, God said, I'm going to show you what I'm doing in pictures. I'm going to paint these pictures for you. For them, did they understand them all? No, they didn't understand them. But do we? We can look back and see. Can't we see the, the, the fingerprint of God on all these things? You know, when I was in school, they tried to teach me that everything just happened by chance. That there was just this day, crazy day, crazy explosion goes off and poof, life. Life was there. Now once they got life started, they could, you know, run forward any way they wanted to. The problem is that will always create an issue for them. Where did it come from? Show me life from non-life. For something to be science, it has to be testable, repeatable, provable. Can't prove it. Nobody can make life from non-life. It is utterly impossible. We can make life from life, but not life from nothing. From nothing to life. Now, you and I were walking down the beach, and we looked down on the beach, and we saw written in the sand, I love you in the sand. How many of us would look at that and say, well, look what the waves did. The waves come up here, and as they went over the sand crabs... The sand crabs jumped up out of the water and just naturally made this, this 
design in the sand that just happens to be English and happens to say, I love you. No, if we saw I love you written in the sand, we would think somebody wrote I love you in the sand, wouldn't we? Folks, when we look back in the Old Testament and we see all these pictures, we should see the fingerprint of God in the sand saying, I love you. Over and over again, he's showing us the picture of what he was willing to do to have a relationship with us in every event. Folks, we're going to go from Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers through Deuteronomy. And some people are going, oh, gosh, I'm never coming on Wednesday night again. But listen, all the way through every single stop that we take, you're going to see Jesus in everything. You're going to see pictures of the crucifixion. You're going to see pictures of how God works and moves in your life. Still today, same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says. God didn't get saved in the New Testament. Same God all the way through. God declares, I am immutable. He doesn't change. And this is his plan from the beginning. This perfect work that he's painting and picturing for us. The anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look, verse 8. And you will bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons. And put the hats on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. This is the way the sacrifice would be done from here on out. The bull would be brought up. And that every single day, every morning, every evening, forever, this was supposed to take place. They put their hands on the bull. Now, this is the consecration uh, that they're having right now. Later on, it's going to be a lamb that's going to be offered up. They put their hands on the bull, Aaron and his sons, and they push on that bull, and they are saying, He is my vicarious atonement. He is my propitiation. You ever heard that phrase before? He is my propitiation, the bull. He is my atonement, my covering. In the Greek, hilasterion, he is my mercy seat. Because through his blood, my sins will be covered. But the book of Hebrews tells us that our high priest, not Aaron, who is our high priest? Jesus Christ. That our high priest, Jesus Christ, comes with better sacrifices than these, who had to be offered evening and morning, every day, every single day, sacrifice, sacrifice. But now once, Hebrews tells us, for all time, he has offered himself the propitiation for our sins. So we see the first thing that, they, that they're going to do in, in being consecrated, totally committed to God, We've seen their salvation, their washing, their anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've seen all those things. Now before service, before they move forward, God's going to deal with their sin. He's going to deal with their sin in this vicarious atonement that's going to be done through the, through the bull being offered up for their sin. So, Scripture goes on. If I find my page now. And so... Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
You shall kill the bull before the Lord. By the, he's outside. He's not inside, right? You're outside the door. All this is taking place outside the door. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside. Outside the gates in Jerusalem. Further picture. That sin sacrifice. This is going to be the sin sacrifice. And you will take some of the blood of the bull and you will put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. What's happening? What's happening is they're going to anoint the altar with blood, covering the altar with the blood, symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the sin offering on the four posts, and then all the blood is poured out. All the blood. There is nothing left. There's nothing kept back. He gave it all. Everything. There was nothing left in reserve. And when we consider this, we look at the, the hands of the priests. How are they covered? With blood. Every day. Every morning. Every evening. All the time. All the time. And everything they do, they're covered by the blood. What about us? Aren't we covered by the blood every day, every morning, every evening by the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, we may not be able to see it on us, but the blood of Jesus Christ is here. It's with us. It's over us. It's covering us, providing that covering for us. And you shall take all the fat that cover the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull... With its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Jesus Christ, who is our sin offering, same way, killed outside the camp. Outside of Israel, same thing we see taking place here. The picture is perfect for the sin offering. Jesus Christ being a picture of that for us. Verse 15, you shall also take one ram. And Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it around the altar. And you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. A burnt offering. Everything washed, cleaned, Placed on the offering and burnt. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable act of worship or our reasonable act of service. The burnt offering, the sin offering, a picture of Jesus Christ and his death for us, providing atonement. The burnt offering is a picture for you and I. To be wholly consecrated unto God. If you are all burnt, there is nothing left. For your God is an all-consuming fire. We're to come to the Lord and give everything. All we have. You didn't save nothing back on that offering. You burn it all. And it was a beautiful aroma to God. A sweet-smelling incense. Jesus, on his way to the cross... About three, maybe four days before uh, he's going to be crucified. Um, actually, about a week before he's crucified. He's going to come. He's going to be with Mary and Lazarus and Martha. And Mary's going to break open a bottle, costly bottle of spikenard. And she's going to anoint him with oil. And Judas is going to say, why have you done this? Why didn't we sell that and give it to the poor? Jesus is going to say, the poor you have with you always. But me you do not have. She has anointed me for what? My burial. 
That costly oil of spikenard was an intense, pungent perfume that people would save their entire life to buy. No doubt Mary had this for her burial. But maybe she understood something that Jesus kept saying. Maybe she got something that the disciples didn't understand when she anointed him for his burial. But listen, if you were to close your eyes, forget the horror of of what you just watched as he was scourged, as he was beaten, as he was taken to Calvary, as he was nailed to the cross, as he was propped up, as he was placed in the ground. If you went to the cross, blindfold on, and smelled... All you would smell was a sweet-smelling aroma, the perfume that he was anointed with when Mary anointed him with oil. What did the Bible say about the burnt offering? It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Why? Because Jesus gave it all. Everything. There's nothing he kept back. And what does he say to you and I? If you would come after me, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. The road's the same. The road he walked and the road we walk, it's going to be the same. Jesus said, they hate me, they'll hate you. If they don't hate you, you're not walking like Jesus walked. They hated him for everything that he did. What does God say about this? This is a sweet-smelling aroma. Holy consecration. Everything given to the Lord. Everything to Him. Not holding anything back. It is all burned. It is all placed before Him. This is the burnt offering, the Scripture says. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall also take the other ram. Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of this ram. And you will kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on their big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Again, sacrifice, all the blood is used, but this time it's put in very specific places, isn't it? This time, first, they take the blood and they put it on his right ear. Why right? Because right traditionally is a position of strength. Where is Jesus at? The right hand of God in a position of strength, seated at the right hand of God. That's all I'm saying. This is the, the place of strength in someone's life. It speaks of that, that, that governing authority, the right side. Now, it's not no dig against left-handed people, so don't take it personal. You know, that's just proof that you've been wired wrong. That's all. <laughs> but don't worry, when we get to heaven, you'll be right-handed just like everybody else. I'm just kidding. But anyways, first, it's put on the right ear, right? Placed on the right ear. Why? Because they are set apart for service of God. To what? Hear His voice. First, I want to be able to hear God's voice. So, they put the blood on the right ear. Then the scripture goes on, they put the blood on the right thumb. So that I can do God's work. So that I can hear his voice. That I can do God's work in the right toe. 
that I can walk in his will. Hear his voice, do his work, walk in the will of God. So each of them are anointed in this way. Each of them. Now remember, we talked in the beginning that we are all called of God. We are all ordained. We have a plan. God has a plan for our life. But we're not the high priest, are we? And the picture of the high priest in the book of Hebrews says, our high priest, Hebrews 3.1, is Jesus Christ. But what does the scripture say about you and I then? John 1.12. You remember John 1.12? To them who believed in him, he gave the power to be called what? The sons of God. To those who believed on his name. So what happened to Aaron's sons? Same thing, right? They're anointed the same way. They're part of the same sacrifice. They're in the same service. The only difference is one day Aaron's sons would rise up to high priest, but Jesus never dies, so we don't ever have to worry about that. He's a high priest forever. But we come alongside in service, in service to him, in service to the king. Again, that our right ears would be tuned to his voice. I used to hear people tell me all the time, kids in my youth group, Back in California, they say, well, I can't hear him. And I've told you before, how are you going to hear me? you got the iPod in your head, cranked up. Oh, I can hear the music. You're going to be deaf before me. But I can't hear the Lord. We have all this noise, all this stuff going on. But are you really anointing yourself? Are you anointing? I want to hear... Folks, God's will is not a mystery. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to be there right beside him. He wants to reveal his will in your life. He's not trying to withhold it from you. But what did he tell Elijah? How is it that God speaks? In the big storm? Was it in the big tornado? Was it in the big fire? How did God speak to Elijah? Still, small voice. Same way he speaks today. Still, small voice voice i've heard it i know it was him i i heard it clear clear as day i heard his voice i heard his voice when he called me in the ministry i heard his voice when he called me to to come up to idaho i heard his voice over and over and over again you spend time talking with a friend you spend time reading the friend's letters when they call you on the phone do you have to say who is this my wife calls me on the phone i know who it is Because I talk to her all the time. We want to know, recognize the voice of God. We've got to spend time with him. How do we spend time with him? In his word, in worship, in prayer. That's how we spend time with the Lord. And when he speaks, you won't be saying, I wonder if that was God's voice. You'll just know. That still small voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, right? They hear me when I call their name, and they come to me. We want to have our thumbs anointed for service, right? What does the scripture say? That we would not be hearers only, but what? Doers also. Because the man who just hears the word and says, yeah, that was pretty good, and then closes it up and forgets about it, is like a man who looked at his face in the mirror, and then turning away from the mirror, forgot what manner of man he was. Forgets how dirty his face is. And he just goes about. 
No, we want to be doers, not hearers. We want to be those not only that hear his voice, but that then move forward and do. And that we want to the same, our toe anointed, that we would walk in the will of God. Where God directs, where God leads, where God guides. Isn't that what we want to do? Isn't that where we want to walk? Isn't that how we want to set our life? That we're following after him, not running ahead, not falling behind, step for step with our Savior. Just follow him. How are we going to know? Well, you know, the Bible tells in Psalm 119, your word is a light unto my path. Isn't it? God's word. How will a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your word, O Lord. You pour God's word in, and you'll find yourself walking in God's ways. Every king, when he set foot on the throne in Israel, was required to write his own copy of the scriptures. Why? So he'd know what God said. So he'd know what it was, what was in there. But over and over and over again in the history, they would forget to do that. For rather long periods of time. And then all of a sudden, the king would be on the throne and he would find the scriptures. And he'd say, what are these? And then he'd read them and say, wow, we're not doing what God wants us to do. And there'd be revival in the land. We want to walk in God's will. We need to apply God's word to what we're doing. Verse 21, you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, on their garments, on his sons with him. And he will, uh, and he and his garments will be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you will take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. You will take one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you will put all these in the hands of Aaron, in the hands of his son, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Now, we see the wave offering. What was the wave offering all about? When they came for service, consecrated for service, God touching by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the sacrifice, ear, thumb, toe. Lord, they're presenting themselves to God like this. Here I am, Lord, use me, but what's in my hands? Nothing. So what did God do? Filled their hands. And what he filled their hands with, they waved before him. When we present ourselves to God for service, Lord, here I am, use me. Let us come with empty hands. Or let us come with whatever that gift is that God has placed in our hands. And present it to him. Lord, here, use me. Let God fill our hands. Let God do the work. Too many people present themselves to service and say, I got this covered, Lord. I'm pretty good at this. There was a time in my life I came to the Lord and I said, Hey, God, I'm pretty good at music. I got this handled. Wow. That was a bummer. The Lord taught me I don't have it handled. That wasn't a fun lesson. I look back on it fondly because it's over now. <laughs> now I come to the Lord empty. You want me to, to serve with worship? Then God will put that guitar in my hand, bass in my hand. God will tell me, here, this is what I want you to do. 
He'll put a mic, give, say, sing. He'll, he will direct. I'm going to give him my empty hands, just like Aaron and his sons. And he filled them. And then whatever he fills it with, they wave it. Why? Because God's the one who filled my hands. God's the one who gave the gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? From my ability to study, from how hard I've worked all my life. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Everyone. And every one of us, don't care what you think, every one of us has a gift. Every one of us, God wants to pour himself through and work in our life. Every one of us, there's a purpose, a point to it all. And we present ourselves to God, hey. And then we wave it to him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord giving him the glory for what has filled the hands, giving him the glory for what God has done. What is it that God's looking for? He's looking for willingness more than training. God is looking for willingness more than training. I know a lot of guys had a lot better ability for for playing music and doing music way back when God called me into, into worship, whatever it was like 15 years ago or something. There's a lot of people that were better. What was the difference? Well, I was willing. There's a hole. Hey, we need somebody to do children's worship. Right on. So I bring my guitar, plug in my amp, and me, I'd get them kids so amped up, they're just jumping all over the place. Turn them loose. There you go. I, do, I did kids' worship for a long time. Then later on, the, God called me out of that to do, to do worship with big church and ultimately Sunday morning and then went back to Wednesday nights. And you know, right before I left Joshua Springs where I was doing worship, kids, it's all right. Why? Because I, I'm only willing to do worship where the people will see me? Because you know the great thing about doing worship for kids? They don't care if you hit the wrong note. They don't know. They just think it's cool. Man, they thought I was all like Eddie Van Halen or something up there playing a the guitar. I was not, way, not anywhere close to some people's abilities, but I came, I was willing, God filled it, God did great things, and kids worship. That's what it's about. Are you willing? When you present yourself to service to the Lord, are you willing? Or is there a long list of strings attached? What do you want in order to serve the Lord? Well, God, you do this and this and this, and then I'll serve. Well, your hands are full. Your hands are full. Let God fill those hands. Let God do his work. And you shall put all these in their hands, and they will wave them before the Lord. And you shall receive them back, verse 25, from their hands, and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire, to the Lord. So what is the point that they're saying? It was all burned up. It's all burned away. Whatever we do, we want to do it totally and completely for God, for Him. As soon as I get my eyes off of the Lord and I put my eyes on me, I'll start thinking I'm not appreciated. People don't think, they don't realize how much I do. People don't, what does that got to do with anything? It don't have nothing to do with it. Why are we doing what we're doing? When we offer ourselves in service to the Lord, we want to offer ourselves in service to the Lord for His glory, His praise, His honor for Him. That's how we want to do it. 
We want to offer up to him. Not about me, all about him. So how's our offering supposed to be? All burn up. Nothing saved, nothing back. When I coached football, all the years I coached football for 10 years, one time in 10 years, I saw a kid, one time, that's it, give everything he had to give on a field. You know how I knew he gave everything? At the end of the game, he couldn't walk. He couldn't get up. He couldn't move. And the rest of the team had to pick him up and carry him off a field. Only time in 10 years I saw someone do that. To give it all. What does it look like to give it all to the Lord? Because I've never forgot what that kid, how much that kid gave out on that field. Use it for example all the time. But how much more is, could be accomplished in our world, in our community for the Lord if we present ourselves as a burnt offering? Complete. Holding nothing in reserve, giving everything that we have to give. And you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and that will be your portion. And for the ram of the consecration, you will consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifice of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord. They're going to lift it up over their heads. They lift up the heave offering. Here it is. This is my part. What was burned up, that's God's part. This is my part. What does it symbolize? Here we are together, God and Aaron and his sons sharing together the same meal. God gets the stuff that's burned up. We get the stuff that's left. We get that which is prepared before us. And we'll see that as we go on. Now the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him. That's a sobering thought for me. Because if I, if I consider that Myself, in the place of Aaron, it means that my kids are going to wear what I wore. I remember when my sons were little, you'd be walking around and turn around, and what are your kids doing? Trying to walk in dad's footsteps. Scary thing. When they are 18 or 20 or 25, they're still doing it. Well, they don't think they're doing it then. They think they're blazing a new trail. But they're not. The apple don't fall far from a tree. Kids are going to wear what we're wearing. It's a good thing to keep in mind. Aaron's going to pass this down to his sons, and his son will become the high priest, and his sons will die in service to God by offering strange fire to him, not following the precepts that God laid out. They're they're not quite going to measure up because they didn't apply God's word hear it but didn't do it hearers only we want to be those who will fulfill what God's laid out well they're going to pass these to his son to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. 
And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and of the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You see, they're sharing a meal together. That's what the sacrifice was. That which was burnt goes to God. That which is here is ours. We are sharing in communion, fellowship, koinonia, that we gather together, that that's what the sacrifice was about, that God would have the people come before him, offer sacrifice to him, thinking about him, considering him, and enjoying a meal together in the cool of the evening. What God has always desired in a relationship with his people. That it's a real relationship. That we share in the evening, we share in the morning, that we gather ourselves together before him. Verse 33, they shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. It is their atonement, the kafar. It is their covering, that which covers them. What does it mean? An outsider can't come in. An outsider not going to understand. He's going to go on. Anybody in the family, anybody that's a part of the family. How do we have a relationship with God? Is there, does God have grandkids? No, we have a relationship by God by us having a relationship with God, not someone else. We don't enter in some other way. We enter with a relationship with him through our relationship with God, our relationship with him. So we see the priests, they come, they're chosen, they're saved, they're washed. They're covered in the righteousness of the Lord. They present themselves for service. And God fills their hands and they commune with him. Same way today. Remember I told you as we come into the tabernacle, we come first through the main door. We come, the first thing we come to, brazen altar. Brazen altar, picture of the cross. The place where sacrifice happens. Salvation takes place. What's the next part? The bronze laver. The bronze laver where they what? Washed. Then they come to the door of the tabernacle where they come to that place clothed in righteousness to enter into a time of service. As they walk into service, they would fulfill the service. The light of Christ would be in there. The bread of life would be in there. The altar of incense, the place of offering prayers where Jesus would do that perfect work of intercessory prayer for you and I. And as they would come to the place of service and God would fill their hands, they could enter into the Holy of Holies and there they saw God face to face. We want to see God face to face. That's the same way. The same way the priest came, the same way they went through, the same things that they did, that's what's going to take place for us. We want to see God in the Holy of Holies. It's going to occur after we present ourselves for service, after he fills our hands, when we enter that place of communion with him. That's where we'll share the meal together. That's where we'll see him between the cherubim. And that's what they did as well. Now, if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, you will burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. It is all to be used for, for the moment, the time in which it is offered. And then you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you will consecrate them. 
And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So before the priests could offer anything on the altar, they had to have their sins dealt with first. And then they could deal with sins of others. Remember Jesus telling the story at one time? He said that uh, in order for us to understand the sins of the failures of our, of our brother, before we remove the speck from him, his eye, what did we have to do? Remove the log from our own, right? Remove the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Before we need to worry about anybody else and their sin, we need to worry about ourselves and our sin. We need to consider ourselves. We need to see where we are so that we might be able then to to minister, to meet the needs of others. Why? Because, folks, when we see others struggling and falling and dealing with sin, how is it that we're supposed to see them? We are supposed to see them in this way. There, but by the grace of God, go I. I am just like them. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. As soon as we get puffed up with pride and we start looking at one another and thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm doing better, I'm this or I'm that or whatever. Before we start dealing with all those things, we need to recognize I am just like them. I came to God the same way. I was chosen. I was saved. I was washed. I was sanctified, robed in righteousness, just like them. I'm a sinner just like them. And when we recognize who we are, then we can minister in an attitude of mercy and grace rather than an attitude of legalism. Legalism kills, but mercy and grace brings life. That's how we want to be able to offer just as the priests coming before holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The morning, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. The morning and the evening sacrifices were to be forever. The morning and the evening sacrifices stopped in 70 A.D. The destruction of the temple. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice was already given. They didn't need a sacrifice anymore. Jesus Christ had provided that sacrifice. He had offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. But don't worry, before it's all said and done, the nation of Israel will rebuild their temple and they will once again offer the morning and the evening sacrifices. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to take away the morning and the evening sacrifice. So there will be a temple, there will be sacrifice, and he will stop it. 
before the end of all things comes, those things will take place. But for you and I, this offering points to Jesus Christ, a perfect offering for us, who is a better sacrifice, was offered once for all. With, in verse uh, 40, it says, Now with one lamb you will mix one-tenth of an ephah of flour, mix one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, and one-fourth a hen of wine as a drink offering. Drink offering. We have the meal, we have the flour, we have the oil, and we have the wine. Flour, speaking of the bread, the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone. What did Jesus say bread was? The Word of God. God's Word is our bread. What's oil? The Holy Spirit. What's wine? Joy. And our drink offering. What is the drink offering picture? The drink offering was taking this drink and pouring it all out. Everything. Gone. Emptying myself for Him. Empty me. I must decrease. He must increase. Pouring out all of that. Pouring out His Word. How do we pour out His Word? How do we pour out the Spirit? How do we pour out joy? We've got to put it in first. You've got to put it in. The Spirit, the Word, and joy. So that we might pour out that drink offering to the Lord. That we might pour out that offering to Him. Here, God. I, we receive the Word. Why? So we can just have it? Why do we receive the Word? So that we can give it to someone else. Why do we receive the Holy Spirit? So that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to affect people around us. Why do we want to react with joy? A choice to rejoice in the Lord. Why do we want to act that way? Because it brings people to the light of Jesus Christ. We want those things to be a part of our life. We want those things to flow through us. Completely emptying ourselves to God. Philippians 2.17, Paul said, And I am being offered as a drink offering to the Lord. Perfect picture of the drink offering. David's mighty men. One of the favorite sections of scripture I like to read. David had this whole group of soldiers around him that were the baddest of the bad of everything. They were the dregs. Nobody wanted them. But when they came to David, they all found a man whose heart was after God. And they offered themselves to him completely to service to him. And there were three guys mightier than everyone else. So they were the three guys over David's army. Each one had proven himself in battle. Killing 300 by himself. 700 by himself. 800 by himself. And these three mighty men, they're hanging around David one day, and David goes, man, he was off in, the, in En Gedi, you know, a long ways from Bethlehem. And David said, man, it would be so good if I could just have a glass of water from the well at Bethlehem. You know, was, that water would just, that'd be really cool. Just talking. Them three mighty men, they, they come away and they go, well, David wants some water. Let's go get him some water. The only problem is the enemy was right outside. So when they leave the camp, these three guys fight their way all the way to Bethlehem. Dip the bucket in the well and pull out water. Fill up a container, a skin for David. And they fight their way back to where David is. 
And they go to David and they say, hey, we love you, brother. Here. And they give him that water. And David says, this is the most precious gift anyone has ever given me. So I can't have it. And he went before the Lord and he gave it to God as a drink offering to him. And he poured it before the Lord. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't about him. It's about God. It was about pouring himself out. Well, he wanted that water. And his three buddies, they just went through all kind of craziness to get it for him. And they bring it to him. But you know, they'd have just said, that's just like David. You give him something really cool, he gives it to God. He pours it out to him. But that's where his heart was. To always please God. To always offer up his best. He said, I will give God nothing that doesn't cost me anything. If I'm giving it to God, it's got to be precious to me. And so he poured it out before him. It says, now, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you will offer it with a grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, offering made by fire to the Lord. And it shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, while I will meet you to speak with you. What was the point of it all? Because at the end of it all, at the end of the day, at the end of the consecration, at the end of giving yourself wholly and totally to God, He meets with you. Hey, every one of us in this room, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you will have your moment with God. Face to face. You and Him. Not you and your friends. Not you and all your people around you. You and God, you and Jesus Christ, you're going to have your opportunity, just you and him. And in that moment, what is it that God's going to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You didn't leave anything on the field. You put it all in play. You did good. Because that's where I want to be. We fall short? Sure. Psalm 113, the Lord says, I know your frame. I know you're made of dust. It's not like God has these high expectations of us dirt clods. I don't get up in the morning and look outside at a clod of dirt and think, I wonder what that's going to do today. It's a dirt clod. It's probably just going to lay there. But when we present ourselves to God, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then we become more than what we are, presenting ourselves in service to the king. We want to meet with him. There I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting in the altar. I will also consecrate... Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. In Leviticus chapter 9, remember, don't forget where we're at right now. Moses is on top of a mountain talking with God. God's just giving him orders. It doesn't all happen until Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, all these things take place finally. 
And I'll share a little snippet of it with you. And Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. When they went out and consecrated, actually did all this before the Lord, God showed up. His fire came from heaven and devoured the offering that they had. It devoured all that there was. And there was no doubt the people weren't going, I wonder if God exists. I wonder if he's here. Or they saw him. His fire came down, ignited their sacrifice. Just like God's fire wants to come down and ignite us for service in him. And when we present ourselves to service and God shows up and does his thing, we're not looking around going, I wonder if God exists. We know because we see God move in our life. We see God do his perfect work in in what he has presented before us. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God and they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them for I am the Lord their God. God calling for the people to be consecrated, the priests to be consecrated to him. He's calling us the same way. Leave it all. In this road of life, you and I walk. Don't save nothing. Don't leave something for tomorrow you could have said today. Because when you do, That's where regret comes in. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll do that next time. Don't live in fear of men, but in the fear of God. Fear of men is a snare. I'm afraid what they're going to think about me. So I I allow that fear to dictate what I do. But the fear of God says, I don't want to disappoint my Lord. As though Jesus was standing right by me. Because if he was standing right by me, if he's right here with me, and, and this person said this, or that person did that, or I felt the Spirit of God moving me that I was supposed to share or say something, what would I do? Because He is there. He's in you. He's with you everywhere you go. And He wants you to pour Him out completely to others around us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you. We have to say, Lord God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, you're calling us. You want us to grow. You want us to move forward. You want us to present ourselves to you a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, holy and totally consecrated wholly and completely submitted to you. Because eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of man the things that you have planned for us who love you. What would God do? Father, don't let us ask that question every day for the rest of our life until it's over. Let's find out. What would God do if I gave myself? What would God do if I didn't leave anything? 
but if I gave it all? What would he do if the very best I had I presented to him as a burnt offering? All for you. Lord, I pray that each of us would come to that place. Lord Jesus said, we want to come before you at the altar, not from guilt. God, you don't want that. You don't want people to to come before you and offer these things because of of guilt or they feel bad. God, you want us to come to you because we love you. And love always does more than law. And we can only love you if we recognize what you have done for us. If we recognize that I am the one who put those stripes on your back. My hand was the hand that held the whip. If we recognize that I was the one that nailed those nails through your wrists and feet. If we will recognize that I am the one that nailed you to the cross and that is all I will ever be, but you love me anyway. <clears throat> and when I come to you broken of the sin, broken of the, of the choices I've made, broken of all those things, when I come to you that way, God, it is you that strengthen me that I might stand. It is you takes the whip out of my hands and says, now present your hands to me as tools of righteousness. It's you that pull me out of the muck and the mire. It's you that lift me out of destruction and say to my ear, I love you. I love you and it was for you that I died. It was for you that I paid that price. Father, when we come to the offering of service, when we come to the offering of consecration to give ourselves to you, may it be of love that we give. May it be a move so deep in our heart that nothing can with... Nothing can restrain our desire to give because we love him who first loved us. So move by your spirit in this place and consecrate us for service. And we give you all the praise and the glory for the work that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close this evening in in worship. We invite you during worship, if you have anything that you uh, would like to to come forward on on and pray about, if we have any prayer counselors here, if you'd come on up and we'll uh, have someone up front to pray with you guys. I hope you'll be able to stay and hang out with us and fellowship for a little while. God bless you and go in peace.